listening to Therapy for Your Money, a podcast about all things money and finance for therapy practice owners. If you want to feel confident and in control of your financial life, then you've come to the right spot. I'm your host, Julie Harris. I'm an accountant and the owner of Green Oak Accounting. My firm specializes in working with private practices across the U.S., and my team and I have worked with hundreds of private practice owners. I'm on a mission to share all the best practices I've learned along the way because I want you to have a profitable private practice. My new book, Profit First for Therapists, is available at most online retailers. You can get it in paperback, audiobook, or ebook as well. Go check it out. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Therapy for Your Money. Today, we are talking about buying real estate in private practice, and I have Colin Carr with me. Hey, Colin, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and about you and your team, what you, you and your team do? Absolutely. So uh, I have been involved in commercial real estate for over 20 years. I uh, started managing apartment complexes when I was 19. I got into brokerage in my early 20s, and that's all that I've ever done professionally. Uh, about 10 years into my, my career, I started focusing more on healthcare. And over a number of years, I came to the conclusion that uh, healthcare, especially private practice owners, were in uh, severe need of advice, direction, advocacy in the commercial real estate process. So um, I started our company, uh, CAR, in 2009 with the exclusive niche of representing healthcare tenants and buyers, um, leases, lease renewals, buying buildings, relocating, anything with real estate we handle. And it's been uh, a tremendous ride ever since then. And uh, today we operate coast to coast. We have people in 40 some states and we have the, the privilege of representing several thousand providers per year with their real estate requirements. Amazing. So let's just jump right in because I know um, I've got a lot of questions. So how do you recommend that practice owners decide between purchasing or leasing office space? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, there's a number of questions we would ask a provider early on. Um, first of all, it would be, uh, can you see yourself in this location or this building or in this size of a space, this square footage for the next like seven, 10 plus years? If you say, hey, I want to be in this area, but I'm not sure if I want to be here long term, we would say, let's not look at a purchase then. Let's not commit to a purchase. If you would say, you know, I, I want to lease a space, but I think I'm going to grow significantly or want a lot more space in the future, even in five years, we'd say, let's not look at purchasing. Um, and the reason why is that unlike residential real estate where everyone needs, you know, a place to stay, everyone wants a, a living room, a kitchen, a bathroom, a bedroom, et cetera, commercial real estate is much more specialized and it's a lot harder to get in and out of. It's also a lot more expensive to get a commercial real estate loan. And so if you're doing an SBA loan, a small business administration, government-backed loan, I mean, just the, the fee to originate that loan is going to be over 3% when you factor in the different numbers and so forth. And then if you want to get in and out of it, I mean, getting out of a commercial real estate transaction costs a lot of money as well. So if you don't think you want to be in that space or that area um, or that square footage for, I would say, at least seven or 10 years, we would say, let's not even talk about purchasing. Let's look at leasing. Um, other areas that we look at are, you know, what's your ability to purchase? Do you have the down payment? Uh, can you afford the payment monthly? What's it going to do for you on a cash flow basis? You know, again, owning commercial real estate is fantastic, but if it's going to tap all your cash, if it's going to put you in an unfavorable situation monthly from a cash flow because it's costing two or three times more than it would if you leased, you know, that might not make the most financial sense for you. Um, and so, and there's there's benefits of each. There's tax deductions of owning, there's paying down principal of owning, 
There's also a lot of benefits to leasing too in the forms of landlords paying for your build out, giving you free rent, giving you flexibility to relocate to different spaces or expand. So there's pros and cons of both. And we want to find out from each provider, you know, where are you at today? Where are you going to be in three to five years? We're going to be in 10 years and then do the numbers work. Yeah. And so when it comes to commercial real estate, like when you are, um, when you're, you're thinking you're going to grow really significantly quickly, how do you approach the lease at that point? Like, are you looking for a shorter lease? Is a is a 10-year lease still okay? How do you and your team think about that? Yeah, I mean, if you know that your square footage needs are going to change in the future, you, you don't want to lock into a 10-year lease. If, you know, a 10-year lease is used for, you know, for tenants that want to lease, don't want to purchase, and they know they want to be in that building or that area for a long time, and you're trying to capture the highest level of concessions from a landlord. And so in commercial real estate, the longer the lease term, the more favorable the terms are going to be back to you. If you give the landlord more term, they're going to give you typically a lower lease rate. They're going to give you higher concessions like free rent, tenant improvement allowance, concepts like that. It also eliminates you having to deal with uh, the negotiation or going to market every three to five years if you don't intend to move. So there's no reason to negotiate three or four times over a 10-year period and pay higher rents every year than you could have paid if you wanted to lock in. So you know, seven-year, 10-year leases are reserved for those types of transactions. If you're in a situation where you believe you're going to outgrow a space in the future, we want to find the size, the largest space that you can afford right now that you can meaningfully occupy or reasonably occupy in the next year or two, but we don't want you going too big to where space is going to sit vacant for two or three or four years. And then occasionally we'll find someone that needs a space for, you know, for a year or two. Most landlords are averse to those types of short-term leases, but there definitely are landlords out there that will consider it. They're just not going to give you a bunch of money to improve the space. They're not going to invest a bunch of money in the space. They're not going to give you a huge free rent package. They're going to probably, you know, still give you a reasonable deal, but it's going to be on terms that are not going to be as favorable because they're assuming you're going to move out in a year or two. Like you might say, well, I might be here for 10 years. They're always going to assume you're going to vacate at the end of your lease they're going to have to re-TI the space, redo the space, remarket the space, new lease, new attorneys, new commissions. And so they're just going to assume you're going to leave. And so you're going to, you're going to be able to capture leases at shorter term, but they're not going to be as favorable terms. And then you're most likely to get uh, just an as-is space, right? Where you you move into whatever it is. Typically. I mean, they, they might, if they're feeling motivated or generous, maybe they'll you know paint the space or maybe they'll give you new flooring. But that's usually under the premise that they were going to do it anyways for someone. So, um, but yeah, it's typically a, a fairly minimal investment in the space for the landlord if it's a short-term lease. Yeah. And and what does that, what is a short-term lease or what is any lease? Like, what does it look like in between tenants usually? How long is that space open? Um, it, it's different for every space. I, we typically track overall healthcare numbers. So we're talking from therapy to dental to vet to medical, so all scopes of healthcare. Um, when a healthcare provider moves out of a healthcare space, it's typically vacant for around 12 to 18 months. And if it's a beautiful building, a beautiful space, that might that might be a shorter time frame. Uh, if it's a space, like let's say there's a therapist in a space, and when they moved out, let's say a CPA could move in, then that number is different. So if it's a true like hard plumbing, medical exam rooms, et cetera, that's typically 12 to 18 months because it's even more specialized. If it's a traditional office space, it, it completely varies based upon the quality of building, the location, the market. 
you know, the vacancy rate's very different in Orange County, California than it is in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so a lot of it is, is really unique to the market. Okay. So let's shift back to buying a space. Um, how do you know as a practice owner, if you're ready to financially to buy? So, and when we talk about buying, there's usually two types of scenarios. There's buying a space just for you. It could be a building that's just for you. Um, it could be an office condo. So it's like you could buy a residential condo or a townhome. You can buy, you know, a, a commercial condo. Those are great investments and they can be uh, much more affordable if you're buying a 2000 foot space and you only need 2000 feet. Um, and then there's also the idea of buying um, a space that you occupy, but is more of an investment property because maybe you have three or four other spaces you're trying to lease. Um, I'll start with the latter because it's an easier, it's easier discussion. Sure. If you're going to buy a property that has additional spaces for lease because you like the idea of, you know, extra income, it's another investment. Here's the criteria. Can you afford the payment, not only for the mortgage, but all the taxes, the operating expenses, all the fees that go into a property? Could you afford that property if there were no tenants in the space, in the spaces? Like, let's say every tenant blows out of there, you know, let's say they don't renew their lease, they go out of business, and the absolute worst case scenario, can you still make sense of it from a cash flow perspective. And you say, well, Colin, what are the odds of that happening? Hopefully very little or very minimal, but it does happen. It happens, yeah. unfortunately, in different call, different times. And we just went through COVID, things happen. Sure. So if you're going to invest in a commercial real estate, true investment property where you occupy one space, but you're leasing to others, you are now a true landlord. It's not just an owner-occupied building. It's a true investment property. And so in those scenarios, if you can afford the entire payment, whether anyone's there or not, then, then great, let's look at it. And the next question is, can you afford to even do the deals? Like if you have to invest money to help build out a space for a, a tenant, whether it's office or retail, you know, do you have the tens of thousands of dollars to do those deals, to pay commissions, to do tenant improvement allowances, to give free rent, to do the attorneys? You know, it is a true investment at that point. So if you don't have the ability to cash flow by yourself, if you don't have the money to put in there, let's not look at those types of properties. If you do and you want to voyage in, then go ahead. And typically, what kind of uh, down payment are banks looking for? So if you're looking just for yourself, owner-occupied, which is usually you're occupying 51% of the building or more, um, there are healthcare loans where you can get it for 0% down, 10% down, or 20% down. That's typically the range. If you are occupying less than 51% um, or, or even a fraction of it, most most lenders at that point are saying this is a true investment, true commercial grade investment property, and they're usually looking for around minimum 25%, but it's usually 30 or 35% down payment. So a traditional landlord goes to buy a property, again, depending on how strong they are financially or who their lenders are, that's different, but you just want to go out there and buy a commercial property, you're going to probably put 30, 35% down payment on that property. So it's usually going to be a pretty big chunk of money to get into that deal. Yeah. And so... Uh, obviously, based on those numbers, right, the owner-occupied condo or a smaller, uh, smaller space maybe is sounding better to our listeners. What does that? Um, what? How do you know you're ready to afford that? Yeah, and that that's the type that we typically recommend. If, if you're not sophisticated, if you don't have a significant amount of additional liquidity to where you really want to venture out, we say, look, let's focus on just you if we can. And so in those scenarios, you're looking for a space, again, that's going to fit your current requirement needs, but hopefully also give you a little bit of room to grow. Or, you know, at some point in time in the future, you will be selling the building. So, you know, will the next person want more space or will the next person that buys your practice want more space? So again, what, what's the range? Not too big, not too small. 
And a lot of times it's just dictated by what's available. You might say, I want to purchase and you might have two options to purchase and then have 10 options to lease. And we can't fabricate a building that's just the size you want. You might have to take one that's a little smaller, a little larger. Um, in those scenarios, we're running a purchase versus lease comparison. And we care about the purchase price. We care about the comps. But really what we care about is how does this purchase compare to your top options to lease? And this is the number one way that we value commercial real estate. It's not like residential where we can go into the neighborhood and say, hey, there's 45 homes. They're all of the same vintage style. Even if they're custom, they're still of the same kind of quality mm -hmm. or grade. Or you go into a track home neighborhood and every house is the same. Those are really easy to value. It's, it's not the same in commercial real estate. So um, you know, yes, we have comps. Yes, we have comparables. We have replacement costs, et cetera. But the number one thing we're looking at is let's compare your top option to lease to your top option to purchase. And if you can find an option to purchase where after you buy the building and then you renovate the inside of the space or you, you do any improvements, interior, exterior, what is the total cost of the payment? Not just for the mortgage, but again, the, the property taxes, the insurance, all the operating costs, that total number how does that compare to your top options to lease? And if you find a scenario where you could buy the building, own it, pay all the costs, and it's similar or even less than leasing, then you've got a really good opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, if it costs more, which it usually does cost more to own than lease, the questions now are, okay, well, how much are we paying down in principal every month? Because let's say it costs $3,000 more per month to own than lease, but if every month we cut a check to the mortgage company, we're paying down over $3,000 a month in principal, and, we're, and our net worth goes up by $3,000 a month, that's a tremendous upside. And that's a, that's a reason to stretch further and pay more for a property. And then you get into one, one other you know, level. You have cash flow, like upfront month per month, what's the check? You get into principal pay down, and then you get into tax deductions. Because when you own commercial real estate, you can also depreciate the asset. You can't depreciate the land, but you can depreciate the hard asset, the building, the interior improvement. So you pick up additional deductions. So again, you could have a scenario where Purchasing costs you $3,000 a month more than leasing, but if you're paying down $3,000 a month in principal, and then let's say you're picking up an extra four or $5,000 per month in tax deductions or some other number, it could be that after you factor in all the benefits, it could be the effective cost of owning could actually be less than leasing. That happens all the time. And so it's one of those ways where you can't just take the sticker price, like, you know, well, this costs this, this costs this. You've got to run the numbers, get into the due diligence. It's not rocket science. You'll, you'll understand it, but you have to have the numbers run for you. Yeah, yeah. And so is is that something that you you and your team do regularly then? Look at we do. run the numbers? Yep. Okay. Yeah, we're running lease versus lease comparisons on a daily basis. We're running lease versus purchase comparisons on a regular basis as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think what, what sometimes practice owners forget is when you are paying you know, a rent to your landlord, that is a deduction to you as the business owner. When you are paying rent to yourself, for example, when you own the building, like that is a deduction to your business, but then it's, it's income somewhere else, right? And so you're talking about there's depreciation on that, uh, yep. on that side where uh, there may be some expenses, depreciation. So uh, you may or may not actually have to recognize that income depending on how the numbers line. Correct. I mean, we, we, our, as our, our company, our agents, we run those numbers, and then we are always going to say, let's let's bring in your CPA. You should have a good CPA. You should have a good advisor there, um, because they're going to then run a further schedule, and they're going to tell you, hey, let's let's slow the depreciation down, or let's do bonus depreciation. Let's speed it up. Let's do a cost segregation study on the interior improvements and try to pick up more deductions. I mean, a good CPA is going to tell you 
you know, you might be better off leasing and just not dealing with the the property at all. I mean, again, there's there's pros and cons depending on your financial situation. So uh, I, I can say this: Do you like the property? Can you see yourself there for the next, you know, seven to ten plus years? Can you afford the property upfront for the down payment? Can you afford the cash flow? How do the total numbers play out? And if we get that far, that still makes sense, then great. But if you get knocked out anywhere along that checklist, then let's let's go to leasing and let's not worry about purchasing. Yeah, so let's go back in that direction of leasing. Um, so before we started recording, uh, you were we were talking about um, you know how practice owners can quote unquote win against landlords in commercial real estate, and so. Tell me what your thoughts are there. Yeah, so when people hear the terminology of like, what do you mean by winning in commercial real estate? Well, yeah. here's what's going on. You've got a high dollar negotiation, whether you realize it or not. If you take a, the total lease value over a five to seven or 10 year period of time, it's going to be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Even on a small space or a, a lower price space, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars of the total value. You know, an average size space in a nice building I mean, it, it could easily get to where it's almost a million dollars in total costs. And then you start looking at other things like insurance and, and operating expenses and utilities and janitorial, and then all the other things that go into a lease for you to run that practice, it's a lot of money. And so in every negotiation, there's a certain amount of money that's on the line that you can either win or you can lose depending on how good of a job you do in the negotiation. And we're not talking about losing like or, or causing someone else to lose to where it hurts them or they go out of business or they lose the property. There's just a margin in every deal where it's the lowest the landlord will go and still do the deal. And we're trying to find as close to that threshold as possible. And then they're on the other side, they're trying to get the highest return possible, give us the least amount of concessions, of et cetera. And so that's that's the range or that's the margin. And you know, we joked about it. A lot of times people think, well, you know, if I go to, you know, this Ford dealership versus that Ford dealership, you know, the, the, the same truck's going to cost relatively the same price and I'm not going to save a whole lot. So it doesn't really matter. It, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a difference between hundreds of thousands of dollars on, on an average size space. So we want to capture the lowest lease rate. We want to get the most competitive free rent allowance. We want the most competitive annual increases. Um, if there needs to be renovations, we want to get the landlord to contribute as much money as possible to renovate the space so that we're either borrowing less money or injecting less cash into the deal or no cash into the deal if we can help it. Um, and so there's all these economic considerations that are important. Now, we also have non-economic that are more business business related, but do you have to personally guarantee the lease? And if you do, for how long? Can we limit the guarantee? Do you have a sublease or assignability provision that if you do want to get out of the space or transfer ownership, you can? If you can do that, can you be removed from the lease or, or is it, yes, you can assign it, but you're still on the lease? Um, mm. Do you want to be the only therapist in the building? Like, do you, do, you, do you care? Maybe you say no, more the merrier. Or you might say, no, I don't, I don't want to have somebody doing the same thing that I do right next door to me. And I have to, you know, always worry about them one-upping me with, you know, the way their space looks or how they advertise or whatever. So you have exclusivity, you have options to expand, you have renewal options, you have purchase options. Um, so again, economic, uh, economic negotiations, and then you have business negotiations. And again, we're not talking about hurting people. We're not talking about taking advantage of people. We're just saying, look, there, there's a lot of money in the line and you want to do the best you can with what you have. And you don't want to pay a landlord an extra 500 a month, 1,000 a month, or any number that you could have avoided if you had proper representation, a, a, a proper posture or strategy, but other options. You were negotiating multiple properties at one time. You're not going to get taken advantage of. 
that's what we're talking about as far as winning. Yeah, so pull back the curtain for us a little bit. It's like, what do, uh, how do landlords approach these negotiations? So the landlord is, and I know this because I've, I've done hundreds and hundreds of deals on the landlord side before I started this company, and I've, I'm very well versed in this subject. Landlords are going to size up the tenant the second that they have a conversation, either through their listing broker or in person, and they're going to ask questions like this. They're going to say, does the tenant have a broker? Um, if they don't, they're going to assume right away the tenant does not know the market, they're not sophisticated, and they're not going to capture as competitive terms, okay? It's no different than if you if, if you were in an audit and the IRS agent saw that the person being audited didn't have a CPA, they would say, I know where this is going very quickly. If you're in a lawsuit and you go into court and, and the judge sees you don't have an attorney, like they just know instantly that you are going to be at a disadvantage. Yeah. And so, and, and, and here's why. Every Fortune 500 company has a real estate agent helping them. They have either in-house teams of professional real estate agents, or they have external agents, but they all have a strategy because there's too much on the line. So landlords or listing brokers are going to look at the tenant and say, do they have an agent? If the answer is no, they're going to assume they don't know the market. If they do have an agent, they're going to say, do they specialize in commercial? Are they residential? Do they know the market? Is it just someone who carries a license and is a friend? And they're going to size up that agent. They're going to see how sophisticated they are. That's going to determine how the landlord approaches the deal. Are they going to bring a competitive offer from the very beginning? Or are they going to assume that you don't know the difference? And are they going to price things higher, price concessions lower? And they're going to make you fight a lot harder to get anything from it. Also, landlords are going to decide early on how they communicate. Because landlords are famous for saying things like, well, we don't do that, or we've never done this before, or our lender won't let us do that. And, and I'm sorry to say this, but they're just making this up. Like they're just, they're lying <laughs> through their teeth and they're waiting to see if the person who hears it is, and I mean this respectfully, is ignorant enough. They just, they're not trained in this area, um, and if they'll believe it. Now, or they're just well, going to, or, or call them out. Yeah. Will yeah. the landlord try that with Lockheed Martin or Charles Schwab or JP Morgan? Like, no, the landlord's not playing that game with these guys. Like the landlords know if they're talking to sophisticated tenants, they've got to bring legitimate offers. They've got to treat them fairly and they're going to have to put their best foot forward very early on or they will get spit out of the system. When landlords see that tenants don't have agents, um, they're going to assume that they don't know what they're doing. Another question happens a lot of times in lease renewals. And by the way, that's the number one transaction in commercial real estate. Every time you see someone go into a new space or a new building, there's 10 to 15 lease renewals happening at the same time. So if it's a lease renewal, the landlord is, is going to ask questions like, is the tenant willing to move? Have they already gone to market to see what other landlords are offering? Um, do they have a do they have a strategy? Do we, you know, are they paying attention? Do they have a broker? They're asking these questions and then. If you're a tenant and you're in a space and your lease is coming up for renewal and you wait till there's you know 90 days left, you probably aren't paying attention. You probably yeah. don't have a strategy. You probably haven't been to the market. You probably don't know what three or four other of the top most competing properties in the area are going to offer you. And so the landlord in that situation is going to assume they don't want to move. Like if you were a tenant, and you told the landlord, hey, I like the property. I'm really happy here. I don't want to move. What is the landlord's motivation to give you a discount? What's the landlord's motivation Nothing. to charge you less money? I mean, None. no, I mean, Julie, if somebody walked up to you and said, hey, would you give me $10,000? You would say, what am I giving you $10,000 for? And they just say, well, because I want $10,000. Your response would be 
take a hike. Like, no, thank you. Yeah. Um, well, I really need the 10,000. Well, you'd say, well, I need the 10,000. Well, I'm tight financially. You'd say, I, that's your problem. This is what's happening with tenants, whether you understand it's this simple or not. When tenants tell a landlord, I don't want to move. I'm really happy here. Send me a proposal. You've just said, I'm a total idiot. I have no idea what I'm doing. Would you please charge me a premium? And I'll basically, I'm probably willing to pay even more than I'm paying right now because I have no other options. And the landlord knows in that scenario, the tenant's going to complain. They're going to they're gonna say it's not fair. They're going to ask them to change it four or five times. And after like three or four rounds, the landlord's going to say, well, I've never done this for anyone before. Like you've really beat me up and I'm willing to give you this, this, and this. And then the tenant thinks, okay, I got a great deal. And the landlord's laughing all the way to the bank because they still overcharge the tenant by 20%. Like yeah. they made the tenant feel like they finally got a good deal. They finally beat them up enough. But I mean, it's like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's dad wrestling with his four-year-old and the four-year-old pins him. Like the four-year-old. <laughs> That's the, a really the, good analogy. Yeah, The four-year-old pins his dad and the four-year-old tells his mom, you know, I pinned dad. And you know, that's, what's going on is these landlords, again, they're usually not going to be a total jerk, but they're going to end up winning the negotiation and they're going to end up putting a lot of additional money in their pocket. And if you were Starbucks or Chipotle or whoever you were, you wouldn't have been paying that. You'd be getting a much better deal. Colin, this was such an interesting conversation. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting about real estate with me. Um, if any of our listeners are interested in working with you and your team, please tell us where they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. The, the best place to get a hold of us is through our website, and that is car.us. It's C-A-R-R.us. Um, upper right-hand corner, you can click to find an agent in your city, in your state. Um, you can also uh, click a couple other buttons. We have a huge resources tab where if you do have a desire to become educated in commercial real estate, you don't need to be. But if you do want to become educated or you're the type of person that likes to learn things, um, we've got more information than you will be able to get through, guaranteed. Glossary, FAQs, educational articles. Um, and then lastly, if you're in a situation right now, even if let's say you've got five years left in your lease, but you want to know how your lease compares to the market, um, our, our agents will do a free lease versus purchase or lease versus lease analysis for you. So if you want to know how your lease compares to the current market, if you want to know what it will look like, if you wanted to purchase compared to leasing, um, they'll do that, that, that full analysis for you. And even if you don't have a deal coming up for years, um, they'll give you the information now because it'll give you peace of mind and it'll help set the direction for your future transaction. And uh, we think that's a good investment. Yeah, that's a great resource. Um, thank you so much. It's been fun being here. Thanks, Julie. Thank you. If you're looking for accounting help, head over to therapyforyourmoney.com slash accounting to find information about my accounting firm and all of our specialized services just for private practice owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Just head over to iTunes, click on ratings and reviews, and give us a quick shout out. We really appreciate it. The information contained in this podcast represents the host and guest's general opinions and should not be construed as personalized accounting and tax advice. Listeners should consider all facts and circumstances before applying this information and seek appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. Any info provided does not constitute accounting, tax, or legal advice.